Today, the annual Realize Israel rave to celebrate 71 years of Israeli independence took place in Washington Square Park. Our reporter Gemma Petrini was there. Um, and Gemma, you're in the studio with me now. Can you tell me what happened today? Yeah, so um, this is the second time that I've been at a protest for the same event, the uh, Realize Israel event. And um, this year we organized a die-in uh, protest, which is a hallowed method of protesting. It's been used, you know, the civil rights movement um, historically. And so uh, a few protesters lied down um, in the midst of this rave, which they dance, they listen to loud music. Um, and um, some other protesters stood above them to make sure basically that people weren't accidentally stepping on them um, because it was kind of a, a rowdy situation. They're, they're having a good time, you know, dancing. So it was pretty intense. Um, yeah. And um, how did the ravers respond to the people protesting? Um, so it was the, the protest was organized by SJP, Students for Justice in Palestine, um, that have... A contentious, I think, relationship uh, has a contentious relationship with a lot of the um, pro-Israel Jewish groups on campus, with the Bronfman Center, with Realize Israel specifically. Um, so there's a little bit of bad blood <laughs> um, between those student organizations, and I think that was reflected in the way that a lot of the um, the Realize Israel ravers <laughs> acted. Uh, there was some aggression towards the protesters being in their space when they were trying to have a good time. Um, but there was a big police presence, um, so I think that helped quell things a little bit. And there was obviously, you know, there was people who were supportive of what we were doing, people, uh, with Realize Israel who were t making sure that, you know, we were safe and taken care of, so that was nice as well. Um, what do you feel like was the, the outcome of the afternoon? And is there anything that really just stood out to you from the day? I think what really stood out to me was the way that that people certain people not everybody as a whole but fairly specific people were interacting with the protesters being pretty disrespectful um some you know like is islamophobic remarks some transphobic remarks were made directed at people who were lying down you know like they were there for three hours you know lying down to protest something that they thought is they think is unjust and it was just a little bit disrespectful um and as someone who was standing there making sure they weren't being stepped on it was just like kind of difficult to watch for me I think um but I think in the end you know the organizers some of the organizers came up after us and were like it's impressive that you you know stuck it out for the whole three and some hours um and um we we did what we wanted to do I mean not me um but you know SJP did what they wanted to do and people still had a good time um despite our protests so i think both sides kind of came out okay no big escalations all right thanks so much Gemma. thank you now here's a brief sonic interlude from buenos aires argentina brought to you by chloe movet Have you ever eaten a 125-year-old pastry? 
Well, neither have I, but reporter Remy Arena is here to tell you about Veniero's Patiscaria and Cafe, a family-owned Italian bakery that made its start in the East Village 125 years ago, in 1894. There is history in everything, even the fast-paced, business-oriented New York City. Walking along the battered buildings of downtown Manhattan, the intricate facades and age-filled cracks tell the story of elaborate pasts. But none are quite as obvious as East Village's Veneros Patisseria and Café. Veneros was founded in 1894 by Antonio Veniero of Sorrento, Italy. Over the past 125 years, the bakery has passed down through generations of Veneros and extended family, and today is in the hands of Robert Zerillo, a 56-year-old Italian-American with deep roots in the baking industry. Started working here in '82. My dad, you know, I dropped out of Pace University, and I needed to work. So my father's like, "This is going to be your college." He was very tough. He was like 44 years older than me, and he was an only child. And he came from working in this business all his life. So basically, he, I mean, he was a master sergeant in World War II. He was very tough and demanding, but he also, being I was the only son, and I have three sisters, I was kind of like, you know, baby Jesus. Nobody could touch me. Pastries, biscottis, and cakes litter this Italian bake shop while long lines wait behind lengthy glass counters. The old school cafe is lit with amber hues and constant gold accents. Veni Arrows has always been a family business and Robert followed in his father's footsteps. Yeah, when I was a kid I hated it. And then he used to say, you gotta do this and bang, and he'd yell and he'd say, you see me, I love what I do. And I, he'd just spit it out like I was yelling. And I just didn't understand him. And then now he's gone, what, 25 years? And I'm here. And I guess when nobody's browbeating you, nobody's pushing you, and you can do, you have a lot of autonomy. Just, I love the fact that I can't be behind a desk in the same paperwork or doing certain things. It's not my job, but I just like the changes every day, something different. That need for movement has only proved helpful in aiding Robert run the 125-year-old business, though. So I brought in the liquor license, cafe license, website, and I kind of, and I think that's where Venero's, you know, 100th anniversary was in uh, 1994, the, and we had a big party across the street. My dad made that literally a month before he died, and then 10 years, or was it 15 years later, my mom passes on in 94, so now it's me and my three sisters running it. Still, upholding a legacy like this is not easy, especially when it comes to plans for the future. At this point, none of Robert's kids or grandchildren have expressed a yearning to own the family business. My son is working it, but he needs help, and the other grandchildren are all professionals doing their jobs. There's like seven, well, and my daughter has a profession too. So now the next question is, yeah, who's going to be the successor and be able to go on? You know, if somebody wants to come deep pockets or wants to invest and be an owner or buy it, I mean, we'd be happy to keep it going. It has to keep going. It's a national treasure. Passover is one of the more widely celebrated Jewish holidays, and it's known for keeping to tradition. In recent years, however, some traditional values have been challenged with the notion of adding new items to the Passover Seder's atmosphere. It can even take something as small as an orange. Here's reporter Jonathan Schatzberg. Happy late Passover, happy late Easter. Passover is meant to celebrate the 
liberation of Jews from slavery in Egypt and to be thankful for all the freedoms that we have today. So I attended a Passover Seder at New York University's Bronfman Center for Jewish Student Life. And Omer He, who is one of the people that work at the Bronfman Center, headed the Seder. And it was a very rewarding experience. He introduced us to new items that can be added to the Seder plate. And the Seder plate traditionally has a few items that represent historical Jewish pain, like bitter herbs and chlorosa. One of the items that Omer introduced to us at the Seder was an orange. And according to myjewishlearning.com, Susanna Heschel, who is famous for her speakings on the intersectionality between Judaism and feminism, quote, shows an orange as a symbol of inclusion of gays and lesbians and others who are marginalized within the Jewish community. She offered the orange as a symbol of the fruitfulness for all Jews when lesbians and gay men are contributing and active members of Jewish life, end quote. Especially as someone who identifies as queer, I am thankful that stuff like this is being introduced. Another item that was introduced at this Passover Seder was an olive, which stems from an olive branch commonly referred to as a symbol of peace, a symbol of hope. And putting this item on the Seder plate reminds us that although the Jewish people are liberated from slavery in Egypt, there still exists so much conflict. It's important to recognize love and understanding one another. So I asked my friend Nikki what her thoughts were, and this is what she said. I want to acknowledge the past of my people, and I like you know, knowing that, like, my ancestors have kind of celebrated this, like, years and years ago, especially because, like, it was lost amongst my family for a long time because my parents and obviously all the generations before them from the Soviet Union and Russia, practicing religion is not allowed. So um, this kind of tradition was, like, lost upon them. And so I think that, you know, adding this stuff, uh, the food for people who are marginalized, whether it's people of the LGBTQ community or acknowledging the perspectives of conflicts between the Israelis and the Palestinians, I think it's really important to kind of add that new modern element to an old traditional type of thing because, you know, Judaism and um, our people are always changing. And I think that just like the Seder represents the struggle of our people in Egypt, I think that we should add, we, I think we should add something that kind of like represents the struggle of our people today in this day and age. Omer introduced the idea of adding a cup for Miriam to the Passover table. And during Passover Seder, you add a cup for Elijah, who is another figure in Jewish scripture. And you open the door for him to let him in. And this idea of adding a cup for Miriam as well and opening the door not only for Elijah but also for Miriam introduces this more progressive idea that a strong female figure such as Miriam is also welcome into a Jewish home. The night after I attended the Seder at the Bronfman Center, I went home to my family and I introduced some of the stuff that I learned at the Bronfman Center to my family and after the Seder, I asked my mom what her thoughts were on adding these new items. I have to say that I thought that they were great. Um, first thing was the orange, which was a symbol of inclusivity, uh, which I thought was really great because it, it, we're not cookie cutters. 
we have uh, so many other uh, you know ways people identify themselves and I, I love that the orange is a symbol of of that incorporating and including everybody the other item that you showed was the olive which was a symbol of uh, peace you know which is what we need right now peace and love and understanding of one another and our neighbors and the Miriam cup I thought was great putting that next to uh, Elijah's cup because Miriam really was an important part of the exodus and the story of Passover and the exodus of the Jews from Egypt to Israel uh, she was Moses's older sister and our family happens to be very maternally uh, strong you know my my mother raised us and uh, my grandmother and uh, I think that I have a pretty big influence I guess you know in our family and I thought that Miriam deserved the credit I really thought that that was fantastic so in future Passover seders if you celebrate Passover think about this we don't have to stick just to the traditional values that these old Jewish traditions hold. This is Jonathan Schatzberg reporting for The Rundown, WNYU 89.1 FM.